Well, good morning, everyone, again. We are in the book of Philippians this morning. If you'd like to turn there with me, please. Book of Philippians, chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we've got a big stack of Bibles over there in the corner. If you'd like to grab one, uh, we'll be looking at the Word quite a bit. The reason for that is because I have nothing to say. God has everything to say, and His Word is what matters, not mine. So I'd uh, like for you to be looking at the Word with me this morning. Philippians chapter 3, and we'll be looking at two verses today. Uh, that is verses 15 and 16. Verses 15 and 16. But I'd like to begin our reading in verse 12. So let's look there together. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who, of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. All right, so verses 15 and 16, do you think they are relevant to the verses that precede it? Starting in verse 12, Paul, even then, is picking up in the middle of a conversation, isn't he? He's already picking up in the middle of an argument. Not that I have already obtained this, and that's where we started reading. So we have to go back to when he began this, and really when he began this particular thought is going to bring us back to chapter 3. Beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, when he says, Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And then he begins to say, Look out for the dogs, the evildoers, those who are mutilators of the flesh. Uh, they're liars. They're lying to you, telling you that you can uh, bring about your own righteousness through external things, like circumcision. But we know that it is those who have faith who have righteousness, a righteous standing before God that's credited to you by means of faith, and not by all these things that you do. You cannot earn your own righteous standing, but there are those who would tell you that you can earn your own righteous standing before God. And of course, all this comes down to the fact that there is an underlying theme that we have to know before we even talk about this, and that is we must, every human being, must have a righteous standing before God. And the big problem is that we do not left to ourselves. We do not have a righteous standing before God left to ourselves. And so the big question for humanity is, how do I get that righteous standing before God? Paul is saying, some are going to tell you it's this way. Ultimately, through religion, through religious practices. But religion is not the way to a righteous standing before God. Tell me, are there some today that believe that religion is the way to gain a righteous standing before God? Do some people believe that today? Are you at times tempted to believe that? It is my religion? Paul wants to make sure that we're not led astray into thinking that our religion is what gets us a righteous standing before God, but instead, it is on the basis of faith that we get a righteous standing before God. And even then, it is not your righteousness that God sees, 
but it is the righteousness of Christ that God sees. And we can have faith and confidence in His righteousness. We don't have faith and confidence in our own righteousness. We have faith and confidence in the righteousness that comes from Christ. And so, he says, uh, not that I've already ob- obtained this. Obtained what? Or I'm already perfect. Well, he says that ultimately because he's talking about the great wealth of knowledge that there is and truth that there is and comfort that there is in knowing Christ Jesus, excuse me, our Savior. And he's saying, uh, I want to know him. I want to know Christ Jesus, my Savior, how much? How much do I want to know him? I want to know him completely. I want to know him entirely. I want to know him fully. I want to know him. And so therefore, I'm going to read books about him. Is that what he says? So therefore, go to the Christian bookstore. Read your Bible, yeah, and then also read books. And that's how you're going to know your Savior. But actually what he says is two things. We talked about this. The power of the resurrection, we're going to notice that at work in us, and therefore we're going to know Christ more because he experienced the power of the resurrection, right? And then also in the extent of his sufferings, as we suffer for Christ's sake, we actually come to know our Savior more because he suffered. So when we suffer like Christ, we actually know him better. When we experience the power of the resurrection, we know our Savior better. And so then he says, but uh, don't misunderstand me. I haven't come to the pinnacle of perfection here. I haven't known Christ perfectly. But it's my goal. I press forward to this goal. This is my aim. This is my goal in life that I might know my Savior to the uttermost. I'm not worried about looking behind because I'm like a runner in a race. And what runner can achieve anything by looking behind him? But no, instead, my gaze is set forward on running the race with this goal. And there's a prize, and the prize is at the end of the race, and not back there. And so I'm looking forward to the prize, the goal for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And this is where I'm headed. And then he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. I wonder when this letter was read, it potentially was read in a context somewhat like this. Maybe they would have been gathered, gathered in a home and there would have been an individual who was leading that church. There actually would have been a group of individuals known as elders leading that church because that was the standard that Paul had set up that there would be elders put in place in every church and that they would lead that congregation. And so there would have been people, but there would have been an individual who actually would have read this letter to the congregation, right? You understand that. Paul wrote this letter, gave it to Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus took it back home to Philippi. They gathered. He gave the letter to one of the leaders. The leader took the letter. Potentially, Epaphroditus could have read it himself, but we don't know whether Epaphroditus could read or not. But we know that the leaders would have been charged with being able to read. They needed to be able to read and teach. And so the leaders would have read this letter to the church. And when they got to this point, what do you think the reaction would have been? Let those of us who are mature think this way. I think there could be two groups that the people hearing that letter would have fallen into. And let's look at them on the screen. There are those who are not of us and those who are of us. 
let those who are of us, see the first category? Okay, do you think there would have been among them those who were not actually of them? It's possible, right? And so those who are not of them would have not have been believers. Maybe they were just people who wanted to kind of know what this whole thing was about and they were there. Possibly because this was a letter of great importance, they would have only had insiders there for that meeting, reading this letter from Paul. We don't know. But then there's another category, those who are of us. This is who it's directed to. Who are they? Well, those are believers. So already, there's a question here. This is written to believers, those who are of us, and not only believers, but even then, there's a subcategory. It's not just believers that he's saying. He says, those who are mature among us. uh, First John gives us some context here of what we're talking about. They went out from us because they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be plain that they are not of us. Right? Right. We get it. They called themselves one of us, and they were here with us, but they went out from us, and now we know for certain they were never one of us to begin with, and that's the reason they went out. If they were of us, they wouldn't have gone out. They would have stayed. That makes sense, right? So we get the categories here. Okay, so let's say we choose, okay, we're believers. But there's subcategories here. Those who are mature among us, that is the spiritually mature, and those who are not mature among us, that is the spiritually immature. Do you see two categories here presented? Let those among us who are mature think this way. It does not say let those of us who would become mature think this way. It says, let those of us who are mature think this way. But not all of you are mature. And so is he saying, therefore, if you're mature, you get a free pass here. You don't have to think this way. This is just for the mature. This is just for the elite, right? This is just for those who have grown up in Christ. You guys don't even worry about this stuff. Do you think that's what he's saying? No, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? There's not two different standards for believers. We all have the same standard. And so what he's saying here is those who are mature need to think this way. And then there's something unsaid here, basically meaning, and don't you want to be one of those? And don't you want to be mature? And wouldn't you like this to be you? Don't you think that this applies to you? If you would be mature, think this way. Simply put, am I a believer? That's the first question. Second question, if yes, am I a mature or immature believer? Are you asking yourself those questions right now? You may ask this next question. Well, I'm not really sure how to gauge that because I don't know what spiritual maturity is. I don't know what that means. Aren't we all the same? We're the in Christ or we're not in Christ. I don't know. Were there separate categories here created by Paul? It's, it's not whether we're in Christ and not in Christ so far as this is concerned. Now, that is true of your salvation. I'm not asking, do you have salvation? Because we, we assume the answer yes to that for all those who have faith in Christ. We have salvation. We're a believer. But even in that category, are you mature or immature? 
how would you rate yourself? 10 being fully mature, perfect. Was Paul a 10? No, he just said he wasn't. I'm not mature. I haven't reached this yet. I'm not there. Remember that word perfect in your translation means mature. That's what it means, to reach an end. Okay, so if, am I mature or am I immature? I don't know. What is spiritual maturity? That's probably the question we need to ask. And this has a lot to do with Russian nesting dolls. If you didn't know that. It looks like you didn't know that. I'll show you. Let's look at Second Peter 1 just for a few minutes. Where Peter talks about Russian nesting dolls. Which would not have existed yet, you understand, okay. But let's look at the text and I'll show you what I mean. What is spiritual maturity? Well, it's a lot like Russian nesting dolls. Does anybody own Russian nesting dolls? Tara does? Unbelievable. How many are there in the set? Are there a bunch? Oh, there's just two? Okay. Yeah, I remember at one point, I don't know whatever happened to them, but we had them and my mom would bring them out at Christmas time. And it was, I loved playing with them. I probably broke them when I was little. That's probably where they went. I don't know, but I remember I loved playing with them. We're not going to talk about Russian nesting dolls the rest of the day throughout the entire sermon, but we're going to talk about it right now. Are you ready? Are you there? Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Beginning in verse 3. Yes. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And he's about to say, and so therefore. So what's happened so far is Peter's saying, we who are in Christ, we who are believers, are believers because we are partakers of the divine nature. And his divine nature is what we're seeking after to make this divine nature an ever-present reality or that it might become more clear that we are partakers in the divine nature. How do we do this? Well, his power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Well, that's, a good, that's good news. How? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us these great promises so that through them, the promises, you might become partakers of this divine nature. And this is how it's proven that you escape the corruption that is in the world. As you escape the corruption of sin, you are putting on the divine nature. The two don't coexist in that sense. As you put off the flesh in sin, you are putting on Christ, which is the divine nature. The more you put on Christ the more mature you are becoming in Christ, right? Okay, so the more of the divine nature that you become a partaker in and it's realized, the more mature you are. 
when you first came to Christ, reflect, when, when was that? Tell me, what was your maturity rating in Christ? I mean, it wasn't much, was it? I didn't know anything about anything, so therefore, if I don't know about it, how can I act on it? If I don't know what is sin, how can I put sin to death? If I don't know what God's nature is, how can I be clothed with his nature? If I don't know what the gospel is, how can I believe in it? If I don't know, how can I change my behavior to reflect that? I need to know first, and then my behavior needs to reflect what I've been taught. And how are we taught? By God himself. Okay, so because all that's true, he picks up and he starts talking about the Russian nesting dolls. Ready? Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. For this very reason, make every effort. Do you see that in your Bible? Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, your virtue with knowledge, your knowledge with self-control, your self-control with steadfastness, your steadfastness with godliness, your godliness with brotherly affection, your brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing until you reach the point of perfection, then they can stop increasing? Well, yes, actually. But are we going to reach that point of perfection here and now? No. So, as we live on this earth, these things are ever increasing in us, or should be, right? They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. The person who is being ineffective and unfruitful is a believer. Did you read it? Did you hear it? Did you, did you see it in there? He forgot that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, he was cleansed from his former sins, but he forgot about it. He was being ineffective, unfruitful. He was being immature in his faith. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. How do I do that? With the Russian nesting dolls. That's how you do it. Okay, if you don't know what Russian nesting dolls are, okay, here they are. Here's some Russian nesting dolls. And what you need to consider about these little Russian, you know what they are now if you didn't know what they were? Okay, so how these work is you take the little tiny little baby, right? See the little baby? And the little baby, obviously, is the smallest one, and then you put it in the next one. They open up, right? If you don't know, they open up and you put the little one in it, you close it, and now you can't see the little baby because it's hidden inside of the next one. And then you take that one, and you hide it in the next one. And then you take all of those, and you hide them in the next one. And so when you get to the very end, you just have the big one, and all the little ones are hidden away in the big one. That's how the Russian nesting dolls work. And that's what this is all about. And so you can see it here. Um, If you take each of these qualities, and you put them in there, we're going to follow this this line here but it's like faith is in the very center is the little baby and that's where it begins and we're going to see how these work together the word here is supplement supplement this with that and supplement this with that the word it to me means to furnish have you ever furnished something 
you furnished yourself when you got dressed this morning. Okay? You furnish your house when you put furniture in it. You furnish it. You clothe it. Right? You put something in it to arrange it, and it makes sense. You put it around it. You furnish it. To, uh, the, the sense of putting clothing on is, is better. Okay? But Russian nesting dolls is even better. This is why I'm showing it to you this morning. It'll make sense in a second, hopefully, if it doesn't already. So let's look at what he says here. I'm going to track this because, well, what is he talking about? Paul, or Peter, excuse me, is talking here about spiritual maturity, and he begins at a particular place, and it sets itself on a certain trajectory. And so here's what he's saying. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Furnish your faith with virtue. Clothe it with virtue. Well, what is virtue? Because uh, I'd like to do that. Virtue sounds good. It sounds awful, you know, virtuous. Excellence of character. Virtue means excellence. The finest character. Aspire to the highest character standards that there are. Excellence. Tell me, in your character, are you aspiring to excellence? Or have you gotten to a certain point and you say that's good enough? Are you always aspiring for your character to be better than what it is? Because that's what virtue is. I'm always, always working on my character. And it stings, it hurts when I realize my character has not met the mark. But I'm trying, I'm aiming for excellence in my character. Okay, so the first thing is this. Okay, the spiritually mature furnish their faith with virtue. That's the first thing that we see, and that's what we do. If we have faith here at the beginning, then we clothe it in the next one, which is virtue. So that we s- our love is tucked away underneath virtue, or our, our faith, rather, excuse me. Our faith is tucked away. Did I say love earlier? Uh, you know what I meant. Faith. Our, fa- <laughs> our faith is tucked away in, in, uh, in our virtue. And actually the reason that we are virtuous is because of, because of our faith. The reason that we have virtue is hidden underneath. It's because of our faith. So in other words, if you were to take the little Russian nesting doll and open it up, this is virtue. And you open it up, what's inside of it? Faith. Do you think there are people who try to have a virtuous character? You open it up, it's empty inside. There's nothing there. Why are you trying to have good character? It's based on nothing. You know people like this. Why are you even attempting to have good character in your life if you don't have faith? There's no reason for it. And so... Our faith is tucked away inside of virtue, and the reason we have virtue is because of our faith. And so it continues to progress that as we take now virtue and faith, and we're going to tuck it away in something else. And then we're going to take those, and we're going to tuck those away in the next thing. And then we're going to take all of those and tuck them away in the next thing. You get it? So at the heart of everything we do is what? Faith. Do you see how it is? So, Next thing is the spiritually mature furnish their virtue then with knowledge. How do you know what kind of character to have as a Christian? How do you know what excellence is in character? 
How do you know? Well, I guess I have to be informed about that. I guess I have to have some kind of knowledge to know what excellence in character looks like. Do you think that all people in this world have the same standards of excellence of character? No. If you think they did, you've, you've been fooled somehow. People in this life have different standards for character. Where do we derive our character standards from? From Scripture itself, right? From the Word. So therefore, we need to clothe our virtue, hide our virtue away inside of knowledge. And inside our virtue, why do we even have virtue to begin with? Because of our faith, right? So as you open all these up, you see the reason I'm doing all this stuff, the reason I'm pursuing knowledge, the reason I'm pursuing excellence in character is why? Because of my faith in Jesus Christ. In order to be conformed to the divine nature, we have to know what the divine nature is. And where do we read? Where do we understand, comprehend what the divine nature is? By means of studying the word. Those who are spiritually mature will have a solid and growing theological and biblical foundation. If you do not have biblical and theological understanding, your virtue and faith is uninformed. You understand that? Therefore, when you try to have virtuous character, you think what you're doing is good only to find out, oh, I'm not supposed to do that? Oh, what I was doing was wrong? I I didn't know that. Right, you didn't know. And so, our virtue and our faith must be informed. Next, having an informed, knowledgeable virtue because of our faith Something else ought to grow out of this. And do you know what that is? Self-control. The spiritually mature furnish their knowledge with self-control. That is restraint of impulses and desires that you know are wrong, which would lead you to have wrong character. You wouldn't be virtuous at that point. And the reason why we're caring about this at all is because of our faith. Do you see how all these are so interlinked and they do build on one another and they are contingent upon one another. You get it? The spiritually mature will have control over their sinful desires and impulses. Tell me, are you a person who is marked by self-control? Do you have any self-control? That is, you know what is wrong, you know what is not virtuous, you know that's not right, and yet you do it anyway. You have no self-control. You're an immature believer. A child will cry if they can't have candy before bed. Or you might, I don't know. But it is those who are immature and don't understand that it's not good to have candy before bed will be upset about it. They're not mature. They don't get it, and they have a hard time, therefore, controlling themselves. Those who are spiritually mature are going to be constantly growing in self-control. And how is this done? Well, this is the Spirit is doing this work in us, and we're getting to that part. But understand, Peter has drawn this line together for us, and we're looking at it, all right? 
Okay, so next, the spiritually mature furnish their self-control with something. So we've taken all these things so far and we've tucked them away inside of each other and now we're picking up the whole bundle and we're setting it inside another thing, which is steadfastness. So in your self-control and in your knowledge and in your virtue and in your faith, you're going to have steadfastness. If you crack open steadfastness and there's nothing in there, why are you being steadfast? That is to have patient endurance. Another word that's commonly translated here is fortitude. The capacity to hold out in the face of difficulty. Tell me, is it difficult sometimes to have self-control? Do you find yourself in the face of difficulty to have self-control? I want so bad to do that, and I know I shouldn't, and there's a breaking point. This is steadfastness. Do you hold out and you don't do it and you have self-control because you're concerned with what you've learned about virtue because of your faith? And therefore you hold out. You remain steadfast. If you can be steadfast in difficulty, this is the spiritually mature Christian. But it's not done yet. All of that now gets picked up and put into another thing. There's a lot here, isn't there? All of that then is set inside of godliness. You would think, well, I thought all this was godliness. Right? But here's what it means. I'm with you. I understand. Godliness seems to be odd. You should have started with godliness. It's, I promise it's right. Because what this means then is loyalty, reverence, devotion, and respect toward God himself in all of these things. And so what that means is that you're being steadfast for the sake of reverence and devotion to your Lord and Master, to your God. The reason I want to hold, to be steadfast, immovable, mature in Christ, fighting, the res- fighting this, this conflict of sin, the reason I hold out is because of my reverence and devotion to my Lord and Master. It is not to gain your own righteous standing before God. Do you see how it all could have worked up to that point? In all this, you set inside a righteous standing and pride before God. No, that's not the reason you're doing it. The reason you're doing all these things, growing in maturity, is not so that God would like you more. You have the full favor of God on your life the moment you come to faith in Christ. You have all the blessings of the heavenly places given to you and eternal inheritance given to you at the moment of faith. You don't have to try to make God like you more. He already likes you infinitely in Christ. So then why are we doing all these things? Out of reverence and devotion to the Lord. If you don't care about that, you're an immature believer. set all that inside another thing. It's almost at the end. Actually, these become bigger and bigger, bigger categories as they go on. Have you noticed that? And so the next thing that the spiritually mature to furnish their godliness with something else and that, that something else is brotherly affection. So make sure that as you come to faith 
and then you're growing in virtue and knowledge and self-control, steadfastness. As you persevere, as you are doing all these things out of devotion to the Lord, it ought to surface and show itself by means of brotherly affection. If you are not putting affection and love into others who are in Christ, it shows that you are an immature believer because you don't get it. You don't get that this isn't about you. It's about Christ and his church. And so the mature Christian is going to start to be outwardly focused. It's going to turn his attention to helping, loving, caring for others who are in Christ. Loving them, wanting the most from them, right? Bearing their burdens. Considering other people as more significant than yourself. All of a sudden, we're starting to get back to the message of Philippians, aren't we? The spiritually mature will be in community. If you find yourself outside of community, you are an immature believer. Because you don't get it yet. The spiritually mature finally furnish their brotherly affection with love. And then, show that next one there, Rob. So now we've taken all of these little dolls and we've packed them together into one. All right? There they are. They're all inside of that one, okay? All of these things we just discussed are now inside of what? Love. Why do you love? Why is love what we see? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, he sums up the entire thing. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. By the way, what does that mean? Not like children. In other words, be mature. Be strong and let all that you do be done in Love, love, love is the mark of Christian maturity and not an empty love and you open that up. What's inside of it? What's inside of that love? Why are you loving? Because of my brotherly affection. And why do you have brotherly affection? Open that up. You get how it goes? What we see often is that someone will appear to be loving. Crack that open. What's inside? Themself. So do you see how on the outside we could all look the same? You may be falsely presenting yourself as a mature Christian when in reality there is nothing inside. Your motivation matters. So all of a sudden we can start to see how he says those who are truly among us, those who are genuine among us, those who are among us, If you go out, you just prove that you're not among us to begin with. If we're talking about to you, you who are truly among us, start here. Furnish your faith with all these things. And here's the point. Are you furnishing your faith with anything at all? Or do you think faith is the end-all, be-all? We're not talking here about gaining a righteous standing before God, remember? You have that at the point of faith. And is that where the Christian is to remain? 
No. And so we conclude this, that there is a continual call on the believer to advance in maturity. Are you advancing maturity or do you think that you've arrived? Or do you think that there is no real call on you to advance in your maturity? Well, how do I advance in my maturity? Well, you start with faith and you furnish your faith with virtue that is informed. Which is why we say you need to study your Bible. Every Christian needs to be a student of the word. You need to be studying your Bible. You need to be more than reading your Bible. You need to be studying your Bible. You need to know what is the nature of God. But if you only study the word of God and it does not have at its core faith, you turn into Bart Ehrman. Right? If you've been here on Wednesdays, you get the context, okay? Bart Ehrman studies the word of God, but does not have faith at its center, and therefore he doesn't trust anything here as having any kind of value or meaning whatsoever. It's just words on a page to be studied. Are these just words on a page to be studied? Far from it. It is because we seek to have an informed faith about our Savior and the nature of God himself. Why? Because I want to be continually clothed with the divine nature by his spirit at work in me. Okay, so coming back to our text, there was a long explanation of that text, wasn't it? But you can see that this is the heart of the whole thing. This is the heart of the whole, the, all of these, these two passages, this is the heart of it. Let those who are mature among us think this way. Think what way? Well, what is Paul saying? So, we're already coming here and we're asking ourselves the question, are you mature in Christ? Do you have any sense of grasp of maturity in Christ? All the things that we just talked about, is this yours and growing? Ever increasing? He is saying, all that he said from chapter 3, verse 1 up until this point, this is the pattern of thinking that he wants them to adopt. And so I'll say it like this. I've got it on the screen. So this is a pattern of thinking that does not allow for pride. Believers do not trust in themselves for any amount of righteousness. This is the pattern of thinking that he wants the mature to adopt. Let all those who are mature think this way. Think what way? Well, the way I've been talking about. And what have you been talking about? A pattern of thinking that doesn't allow for pride, but instead has the humility of Christ. The believers don't trust in themselves for any amount of righteousness, but trust in Christ. If you're mature, this is how you would think. And therefore, if this is how you would think, you wouldn't be so led astray by these people telling you to be circumcised. That was the meaning and the point originally. He was trying to help them to see that those who were telling them to be circumcised, to be found righteous, were wrong. The mature don't think that way. The mature understand that our righteous standing is not based on what we do, it's based on who Christ is and what he's done. You need to think like that. Think this way. Adopt this pattern of thinking. And you might think, well, I've already done that. That is a mark of immaturity. You think you've already arrived at that knowledge. I've already got, why are we talking about that? We've been talking about that for weeks. Right. Because we should talk about that for weeks. You have not arrived. 
I have not arrived. Paul has not arrived. None of us have arrived. We are ever growing, and we should be, and we should be eager to do so. Moving on from that. And if anything, in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. If in anything you think otherwise, or if any of this you think otherwise, God's going to reveal this to you too. So he's basically delivering to them, you need to be thinking this way about this issue. And some of the congregation were going to say, but I just don't see your point here, Paul. I don't see how this could be right. I think I'm going to be circumcised anyway, because I think that's what's right. And he's saying, well, some of you are maybe going to think this way. But I trust that God will reveal to you how wrong you are. That's what he's saying. Paul has an overriding desire to find everyone mature in Christ. What he wants for them, most of all, is that they would adopt this way of thinking and be mature in their thinking. Be mature in your thinking. Grow in your thinking. I have said for years, because it's still true today, my most favorite, uh, I, I don't know, some of my favorite verses in the Bible are ones that apply to me and the ministry that God has called me to, and he has placed in me an overriding desire for something in particular, and Paul summarizes it here in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. If ever I were to do something like give my personal testimony and tell of what God has done in my life, these are the verses that I would read. Okay, if I die tomorrow and there's a funeral, make sure these verses are read. Because these are important to me. They're very significant to me. And it says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And for this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. This is the goal. This is the end, that you might be mature in Christ and the work is never done. The work is never done. I wonder, much like Paul, do you have a desire for maturity in yourself, a drive? If you do, it's going to bring forth brotherly affection and love that stems out to where your overriding desire is that you look to see other people advancing and maturing in Christ. And when you see other people growing in Christ, and maturing, it gives you joy when other people experience progress. Progress and joy. Progress and joy. Why does he want them to experience progress? Because he knows that there's joy there. When you reach for maturity in Christ, there is joy to be found. We are to adopt the way of thinking of Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Are you with joy enduring strugglings, knowing that in your strugglings, you are knowing your Savior better? All these things are working together in Paul's thought. Okay, so um, I'm going to end here, and believe it or not, I'm about halfway through my notes. Okay, so I'm going to have to wait on this other half, but I'd like to end a particular place. Um, uh, this morning. So if you would just please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read a few verses here and we're going to end for the morning. 
1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says, beginning in verse 6, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, or rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. See these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person who is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And here it is. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God, And we impart this in words, not taught in human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them, because these things are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Because he's perfectly spiritual, by the way, is what he's saying. But we have the mind of Christ. Okay, so here's here's why I read all of that. You ready? But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. And so I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. Even now you're not ready. You're still the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh behaving only in a human way? And why is he saying behaving only in a human way? Are you to behave in a human way? No, we're to be clothed with the divine nature and act in a divine way. Right? But you're acting like just humans. Yeah, I mean, I am human. But you are to be a human clothed with the divine nature, having been set free from the captivity and slavery of sin. You're to put on righteousness and act righteous. Not that God would see your righteous deeds and declare you justified, but out of your reverence to him who has saved you and already declared you to be justified. There are those who are not mature in Christ and therefore not ready for this type of thinking. You ever been in a place where you were immature spiritually and so when a spiritual truth came your way, it either one, offended you, or two, bored you to death? That's spiritual immaturity. You're not, the goal isn't to know Christ. The goal isn't to be conformed to his image. The goal isn't to mature ever. You lose sight of that goal because you're looking behind and not looking forward to the goal. I guess I'll just end here by giving a summary. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. You see it there in verse 16? He's basically saying, nevertheless, whatever level of maturity you're at, you need to hold true to where you are in Christ. 
All of us are at different levels of maturity this morning in Christ. But wherever we're at, you at least need to be acting like that. Right? Okay, so Jane is nine years old. And she should act like a nine-year-old. Not like a 12-year-old, like a nine-year-old, right? She should not act like a three-year-old, correct? When she does act like a three-year-old, she gets in trouble for that because she's not acting her age. Tell me, are you acting your spiritual age? You acting mature? You seeking to grow in maturity? We should. This is what God desires for us, that we would be ever growing, growing in our maturity in Christ. Let's all pray together. Lord, we're grateful for our time that we've spent together in your word. And we see this morning such a, it's a very simple concept in your word, Lord, that we are to be those who are mature and to think a particular way. We are to have our thoughts informed by scripture and we're to be ever, ever growing in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see maybe in areas of our life where we're looking backward, we're not looking forward, we don't have the goal, we don't have the prize in mind. I, hope, I, I pray that you would help us to see that. I pray by your spirit you would lead us into spiritual conviction because it's only when we see where we are in the wrong where rights can be made. So God, I pray by your grace, by your mercy, help us to see the defects, the immaturities in our life that we might press forward with joy to be mature in Christ. We ask all these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and sing this last song together.